winning's hard. Really, really hard. Winning is hard unless you're playing Kansas State. I believe it's now six straight wins against the Wildcats after Texas held on to beat the Wildcats 34-27 in Manhattan. Just the second road win for Steve Sarkeesian in his two years at Texas and holds on after a 21-point lead at halftime. Have you been able to breathe yet, Westcott, excelled at all? or? Uh, I think my heart rate has finally started to slow down a little bit. Yeah, but uh, also may have picked back up because we've had a pretty busy day in recruiting. So unless you've been living under a rock or you got off Twitter because of a uh, new ownership, it's been a big day for Texas. It started off maybe on a bad note, a decommitment from a four-star Seguin safety, but then things picked back up. The Westlake defensive end, Colton Fasick, uh, rumors of him fl- uh, flying around that he was going to flip from Oklahoma to Texas uh, deleted his commitment post from Instagram. It took out Oklahoma from his bio post, started following Texas people on Twitter. And then probably the biggest news of the day, we got word that five-star linebacker Anthony Hill from Denton Ryan has decommitted from Texas A&M. Yeah, Colton Vasek, um, Austin Westlake product, played with Ethan Burke, uh, Michael Taft there. Um, also, a guy's parents are Texas legacies, committed to Oklahoma in early August. Uh, liked what Brent Venables was doing defensively, uh, but may have just seen a little bit too much blowing and going from the Sooners this year. Yeah, the fire hose is not inserted in the <laughs> mouth right now. Or maybe it still is, and it's just uh, not a good thing. <laughs> Who could say? But uh, this would be a really big win for Texas. Uh, A&M, obviously, they're going through a rough patch right now. Uh, three and five, three and six are going to have to win out to become bowl eligible that includes a win against LSU is probably going to be, I don't know, maybe top five or top six in the college football playoff rankings to come out on Tuesday night. If, if you can flip these guys, I mean, I guess a lot depends on what happens on Saturday, or do you think it doesn't matter as much considering how great the defense has played for Fasic, for Anthony Hill, and for anyone else who might be considering flipping, including David Hicks, the Katie Pato defensive lineman. Yeah, also committed to Texas A&M is, yeah. is Hicks, uh, another stud prospect. Um, you know, I think for recruits, most of the time, um, you know, the, the week-to-week results don't have a big impact on decisions. Um, I think for Vasek, you know, seeing what happened in the Cotton Bowl, you know, probably played a role. Oklahoma, you know, hasn't been playing great football even since then, now that they've had Dylan Gabriel back, uh, losing to Baylor over the weekend and, you know, for Texas A&M, it's, it's been, um, you know, consistent struggles now. Sitting at one and five in the SEC, that one win came against Arkansas when that field goal doinked off the top of the post, uh, something that uh, might go a long time watching football and never see happen again. But that five-game losing streak for the Aggies is the worst since 1980 in Jimbo Fisher's fifth year. Uh, that's a, a really big problem for him. Uh, you know, Anthony Hill is a really just a, a big-time prospect consensus five-star prospect ranked as the number one linebacker in the state number or in the country i'm sorry mm-hmm. uh number 17 player nationally in the 24 7 sports composite rankings uh things look really good for texas there there have already been a couple 24 7 sports crystal ball picks come in for hill to texas today um you know, he's a guy that you know, had Texas really high on his list. He was down to the Aggies and the Longhorns uh, when he made his decision. Uh, that was back 
in uh, late July, a couple days, you know, right before Vasa, kind of a, a tough stretch for Texas after all the momentum that was generated by Arch Manning's commitment. Uh, he'll be in town reportedly this weekend for the TCU game. That decommitment ended up breaking uh, just a, a couple hours after the news came out that he was going to be on the 40 acres this weekend. You know, one thing to know with Hill, his recruitment is already pretty advanced. Uh, took official visits to Alabama Oklahoma and USC, in addition to going to Austin and College Station uh, during the summer, uh, that, that Texas A&M official visit actually came uh, in September, but certainly he spent a lot of time you know, on the, on the campus and College Station during the summer. Uh, so he's already had a chance to really visit a lot of places, get have a good idea. You know, he wasn't a guy like uh, Louisiana safety Derek Williams, who committed to Texas, only official visit uh, to the 40 acres. So, um, you know, right now it looks really good for the Longhorns. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, he'll probably be a guy uh, who might wait until, you know, uh, the early signing period, early signing day um, in mid-December to announce uh, his commitment. And he could still take a couple more unofficial visits. Uh, right now, Texas is the odds-on uh, favorite for him, though. Yeah, my next question for you was what what can fans expect when it comes to timelines for Fosick, for Anthony Hill, and for possibly anyone else in this class that might be flipping? Yeah, uh, you know, nothing, nothing concrete there. It certainly seems like, you know, a decommitment from, um, from Vasic could happen, um, you know, in the next maybe 24 to 48 hours, even, um, you know, I don't know if that would be a, a clean flip to Texas. I think if uh, there's a, a fairly strong chance of that happening, um, I think, you know, Oregon was also a school uh, that was in the mix for him, but, you know, if he's going to make that decision, I would suspect that, uh, one of the factors is wanting to be closer to home, you know, wanting to have his parents just be able to drive, you know, across town, see him play, to be able to play for his alma mater. And the other thing that that's happened uh, since he made his commitment to the Sooners is that, you know, the Longhorns have still really struggled on the edge. Um, you know, his former teammate Burke has gotten a little bit of playing time, uh, nothing significant since then. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of production really from that position uh, beyond some, you know, quarterback hurries, you know, not a lot of sacks. It's, it's a tough position to really come in and, and contribute at, you know, as a young player along the defensive line. Uh, but he's had a really outstanding senior season, and uh, he would come in uh, much more prepared to play and contribute early than someone like Burke, uh, who is viewed as much more of a developmental prospect. And, you know, even having him, you know, make the two deep roster was, uh, you know, just a really positive sign for him. But, um, you know, not not exactly surprising that he hasn't been getting more run as Texas has gotten into conference play. Yeah, Texas came into the Kansas State game leading the country in quarterback hurries, but only have an 8.7% sack conversion rate. Two sacks against Martinez on Saturday. He still found a way to escape some some sacks that would have been huge for the Texas defense. But the Texas defense, despite what maybe the message boards and Twitter have shown, they're playing really good, Westcott. Um, I talked about it last week against Oklahoma State. I know they gave up a couple of big touchdowns at the end, but for the most part, they did a great job in that third quarter. And then against Kansas State, too, particularly the, the rushing defense, I only wanted to touch on it, only allowed Deuce Vaughn to run for 73 yards in his, the first two games against Texas. He ran for 125 his freshman year, 143 last season, just 73 which is his second lowest rushing total in a game this season. Lowest came against Iowa State where he ran for only 
23 yards, but it's also a much improved rushing defense for PK in his second year. Last season, Westcott, they were 114th in the country, giving up 200 yards on the ground. This season, 32nd in the country, only allowing 123 yards per game. Yeah, and I think one thing that they've done much better is that they've been able to avoid the explosive plays that really hurt them last season. Last season, Texas gave up 12 runs of 30 or more yards. This year, they've only given up two. You know, I think the defensive line is really where that starts. Uh, the defensive line, those guys on the interior, Keandre Coburn, Tavondre Sweat, uh, Vernon Broaden, Alfred Collins, uh, Byron Murphy, those guys that have really taken a lot of pride this year in playing better. Uh, by doing that, they've been able to keep the linebackers clean. They don't have those offensive linemen getting in their face so quickly. And that along with, uh, you know, I asked Jalen Ford about this, you know, this afternoon, and he said that, you know, he thinks one thing that's helped them too is that uh, PK and, and Jeff Choate, you know, the the linebackers coach, have a much better idea about the type of skill sets that those players have. Uh, Jalen Ford, you know, frankly, is a significant upgrade in athleticism over Luke Brockermeyer, who was playing in that middle linebacker position last year. Uh, but just being able to, to see to see the game a little bit more easily, not have to beat those blocks at the second level. You know, as much as you really want your linebackers to have that skill set, to be able to do that, you know, the bottom line is that most of the guys who are really good, you know, are able to avoid those blocks or, or just don't have to deal with them in the first place. Because, you know, if uh, offensive linemen are just getting an easy release to the second level, no matter how good your linebackers are, you're going to be having trouble. And, you know, the other thing, too, is just, uh, you know, some of the fundamentals have improved for Texas, uh, getting their run fits better. You know, only 3.8 uh, yards per carry for Deuce Vaughn, extremely dynamic, tough to tackle. Adrian Martinez, known as a running quarterback, uh, only 3.7 yards per carry, a long run of 11 yards for Vaughn, 14 yards uh, for Martinez. So really limiting explosive plays in the running game, uh, not allowing those those chunk plays uh, to really squirt out on them like they've had so many times. And I think, you know, the offense also played a big role in that. A uh, good game plan from Sark. They came out executing at a high level. Uh, we were able to really get a lead. And I think that uh, forced Kansas State to throw the ball more than they would have wanted to otherwise. Uh, Martinez, uh, 36 passes in that game. Uh, we're able to pick up. Uh, they had the, a big play to, to Malik Knowles that picked up uh, 62 yards, but that was the only passing play that went for over 30 yards in that game. Uh, so on the back end as well, Texas doing a better job of, of largely um, you know, keeping those those major backbreaking explosive plays uh, from happening and, you know, getting that lead in the first half forced Kansas State to press as well. Uh, one of the really key uh, moments in the game was, you know, Texas had to settle for that field goal late in the first half. Um, after that, you know, Kansas State was really pressing without very much time left, trying to go down and, and get a score because they were down uh, 14 to 10. Uh, Jalen Ford ended up taking a, a really nice pass drop, undercut the route that Martinez was trying to hit, uh, came up with a, a 
I'm sorry. So uh, Texas went up 24 to 10. I'm sorry. But uh, with that field goal from, from bird Auburn late in the half, uh, one thirty five remaining uh, Martinez ended up throwing that interception. Texas was able to go down uh, without a lot of time left and convert that um, into another touchdown catch uh, by Xavier worthy, his second of the game that put Texas up uh, 31 to 10. You know, at that point it was really just about avoiding the big mistakes uh, that would have let Kansas state back in the game. Does that explain Sark's play calling the second half, not wanting to give the big mistake? I know he, he mentioned that on the field goal where he took the, the deep shot to B. John Robinson on that wheel route and was like basically after that was not completed, he kind of just, you know, packed it in. Yeah, I think there was uh, definitely, um, you know, diverse play calling from Sarkeesian. Um, I think that they were they were pretty conservative because Kansas State was, uh, you know, really loading the box uh, against the Texas running game, uh, just getting getting extra hats that Texas couldn't account for. You know, certainly with guys like Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, uh, they're capable of taking care of some of those extra hats by making them miss or running through arm tackles. Uh, Texas, unfortunately, wasn't able to do that. Um, and the other thing that, that really hurt them in the second half, um, you know, we're blaming this on you, Cameron, because you tweeted about this <laughs> at halftime. Zero penalties for Texas in the first half. Texas immediately comes out, has multiple procedural penalties, false start penalties. Um, ultimately, in the second half, um, they ended up having seven penalties uh, for 48 yards. Um you know, clean first half for Texas. They need to play more clean and in, in the in the second half. And you know, there are also some times when you know Sark admitted this in his press conference today that you know he maybe didn't you know help them out a lot. There's a, a third and four before uh, late in the game. You know, as Texas was really trying to get into their four minute drill, uh, where they ran a pin and pull play into the boundary. So they're pulling uh, Christian Jones and the. Um, uh, one of the guards, I think it was either, I don't know, can't remember if it was, if it was Hayden Connor um, on the backside or if that was uh, Cole Hudson on the front side. But, you know, that put them in a situation where uh, Christian Jones had to come out and, and take care of a safety who was coming downhill yeah. really fast, who was lined up over Jatavian Sanders, who, uh, you know, ended up going blocking down um, inside. And then because Texas was running a toss play to Roshan Johnson, uh, he ended up running, you know, right into that player's you know, Christian Jones just couldn't get there. And, you know, because of the momentum that that Savage had on that play for Kansas State, you know, he was able to displace a guy that, you know, weighs, I don't know, like 150 pounds more than him or something. And so, um, you know, certainly, you know, Kansas State, a pretty well-coached defense, um, you know, they really looked like they knew that that play was coming and it, uh, it never had a chance as soon as it got called. So, you know, a little bit disappointing there for Sark. You know, I, I thought that, you know, there are maybe some other things that he could have gone to uh, during the first half. I, I don't think that I've seen them run this play before, uh, but they were running a play where they were, um, you know, putting a wide receiver in motion. It was either uh, Casey Kane or, or Jordan Whittington. And then they were bringing Keelan Robinson behind him also in motion. Um, and they were doing that uh, Robinson in motion, you know, kind of a, a mesh. Uh, with the handoff and they had a, a toss play to him uh, that went, you know, for about 10 yards or so and, you know, help set up Texas in, in, uh, in the red zone. And, you know, I think that's the kind of stuff that, um, you know, Texas should probably go to a little bit more in the second half instead of being so stubborn, but um, you know, ultimately Texas, 
uh, did enough to win that game, forced two fumbles on that final drive, and, and it played really played good defense. Kansas, you know, had a force, fourth and six in there. They forced Martinez out of the pocket, uh, kind of went into, you know, a scramble drill uh, for the Kansas State wide receivers. And, uh, you know, Ryan Watts came really close to breaking up that pass intended for Deuce, Deuce Vaughn that was, uh, you know, barely executed. But, you know, Texas had two guys on that first fumble. Um, you know, I think it was Tavondre Sweat and Baron Sorrell who were, you know, really going hard after the football and uh, near the sideline, just the way that it got knocked out by Keandre Coburn, his uh, first forced fumble there late in the game. Um, just a little bit unfortunate for Texas. Uh, that was the eighth fumble that they forced this season, and they'd only managed to recover two of them. Um, I think maybe it was two plays later. Uh, Coburn just, uh, you know, really gassed by that point in the game, but, you know, really showed great effort to knock the ball loose. And this time Texas got a more fortunate bounce because they ended up kick kicking off of someone's foot. And um, there wasn't really anyone close to Jalen Ford as he came up with that big fumble recovery, uh, able to close out that game. Certainly uh, very nervy for Texas down the stretch. Uh, but, um, you know, some of the beat guys who are, um, you know, in Manhattan, we're talking about, you know, just how loud the locker room was after that game. So, yeah. you know, I think Texas really exercised uh, some of their road demons in that game. And I think that should provide them, you know, a little bit more con uh, a little bit more confidence uh, coming down the stretch. They played much better, um, you know, when they've been at home in Austin. It should be a good crowd against TCU on Saturday night, over 100,000 people. Uh, but two of the final uh, three games are at home for Texas as they really look to close this out and have control, um, you know, of their chances to play in the big 12 title game right now. Uh, they're sitting in second place in the big 12 with those two losses, uh, Kansas state and Baylor, I believe are the other two teams that have two losses. Obviously Texas holds that tie break right now. Uh, they can beat Baylor uh, when they face them here coming up uh, to uh, believe they're closing out the season with Baylor, right? Yeah. Friday, after okay. the Friday after Thanksgiving. Right. Okay. So they close out the season with Baylor and, um, you know, depending on what happens that, you know, game may or may not matter. Um, you know, Baylor does win out and Texas does as well. Then, um, you know, that would put them with three losses and uh, that's the path to the uh, path to Jerry world in, in December for the Longhorns right now. The post-game interviews that Craig way and Roger Wallace were doing in the locker room, you could barely hear who they were talking to because of the screaming in the background from the locker room. So it really shows you how big of a win it was because for me and other people, you know, in the media it was kind of like, yeah, they won, but like the second half, just, you can only score three points. You scored six points total in your last second half. So you're averaging under four points in the fourth quarter in big 12 play, just six points in the third quarter in big 12 play. But there's also a side where just like the Iowa state game, West Scott, where it's like, well, this team is still figuring out how to win. And as much as we make fun of winning is hard and all that, I mean, think about how much winning this program has really done the last decade, right? Not a lot. One, one 10 win season, the, the 2018 season where they played an extra game because of the big 12 championship. So I think a part of this in this second year for, for Sark is just kind of figuring out how to close the door in games like Iowa state and Kansas state and possibly maybe down the road this season, or even going in the next year, this team really gets thrown. Yeah, you play to win the game. Uh, that's the bottom line. And I think uh, people were probably a little bit hard on on Tom Herman for, you know, turtling up in the second half of, of some games. And, you know, I think uh, that's just a, a very, 
a very coach thing to do. I mean, you don't want to, you know, throw an interception or just, you know, start giving up sacks and, and really have those plays that, that allow a, the team to get back into it quickly. Uh, Texas made Kansas state really work for it in that game. And, um, you know, ultimately they were able to get the stop at the end. Uh, they were able to get a couple big stops in the red zone. Uh, Jade Barron broke up a pass on, on fourth Huge. and two. And uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it was, it was a great play by, by Barron. Um, you know, he told us today that he kind of had a big feeling like that ball was, was coming to him. And, um, you know, we talked about it a lot this year, just uh, seeing defensive backs for Texas and at other places, uh, you know, really kind of start to panic when they think that the ball is in the air and not, you know, kind of yeah. lose lose their technique and, and fundamental fundamentals in those circumstances. And, uh, you know, that didn't happen for Barron. Uh, he uh, did the right thing. Uh, he didn't turn and, and try to find the football. He played through the hands. Uh, he was able to do it successfully and with enough physicality to knock it out, but also avoid a defensive yeah. pass interference penalty. Um, but, you know, on that play, one of the big uh, subjects of, of conversation with uh, multiple guys today when we were talking about it was that, uh, you know, Texas was in man coverage on that play. Uh, Ryan Watts was responsible for a player who ended up going into motion. So, you know, he had to navigate the linebackers as he followed that play in motion. And then Texas, uh, sorry, Kansas State uh, tried to run a rub route uh, to knock him out and uh, knock him off. And he was able to, uh, you know, stay in phase, uh, even, you know, having to play through that rub route, uh, was able to take that player out and, and force force Adrian Martinez to make a difficult throw that, that Barron ultimately ended up breaking up. And, um, you know, Texas uh, was able to force, um, I think, what, two other field goals uh, from within uh, 30 yards. Yeah. Or was it just one? The last one was uh, a yeah two yeah so forced two yeah forced two yeah. balls inside thirty yards by Kansas State um, so you know really strong defense uh, by the Longhorns that, that that's kind of been you know what Pete Kwiatkowski has been playing a lot of um, kind of that bend but don't break style trying to limit the big plays and really uh, once the field gets condensed uh, then get the opponent off the field and you know Sark was talking about you know, his frustration with, um, you know, how some people look at, at red zone conversion rate. Uh, certainly that's not something that we talk about very much on this show uh, because like Sark, it's all about uh, the touchdown rate. Once teams get into the end zone, uh, whether it's for the Texas offense or the Texas defense, um, it's all about forcing field goals because uh, that's worth four points right there. And, and those are big swings and games that are close. Yeah. Texas is second in uh, red zone defense in the big 12 only behind the Kansas Jayhawks, hmm, but 26 overall in the country. And if you want to the talk bowl about eligible Kansas Jayhawks, yeah, bowl eligible before Oklahoma in Texas A&M, just like everyone predicted this year, right? <laughs> One other thing about um, now I lost my my train of thought. Uh, Ryan Watts, he's having an incredible year. Westcott, uh, the highest graded player on the field according to Pro Football Focus, like a 90.9 rating. Um, he's playing through an injury. Anthony Cook played through an injury. Jalen Gilbo, he won't be back for a couple few weeks. But another thing for PK is look at who's out there on the field at times in the secondary and how they're kind of getting better each week, right? The pass, pass interference thing was at Oklahoma State and a few other games this season where it felt like Texas, anytime they threw in man coverage, they were going to draw a pass interference. This last game against Kansas State, zero pass interference penalties. So slowly getting better. 
Yeah, I think probably not as much man coverage against these teams that have mobile quarterbacks, a little bit more zone. Texas uh, still having some trouble, um, you know, really closing some of those zones and playing sticky coverage. Uh, but, you know, to go back to Ryan Watts, uh, finished uh, tied for third on the team with six tackles, five solo, had a tackle for loss, really shutting down the, the boundary position, uh, playing good pass defense, but also doing a really great job uh, setting the edge for Texas. Very physical player. Um, he actually met with us today for the first time. It was nice talking to him. I, he's still a little bit uh, – hasn't been deprogrammed from Ohio State. He referred to that team up north uh, about four times, uh, Michigan, of course. Uh, but he said that one of the reasons why he ended up leaving Columbus was because he was having some mental health issues, uh, just being so far away from home and, and not being able to have his family uh, be able to come out and, and see – you know, very many of his games with his parents working and, you know, the cost of, of getting flights out there. Um, so he said that that was starting to, you know, kind of impact his play on the practice field. He wanted to get back to his home state of Texas. Of course, he's from Little Elm in, in the Metroplex. Um, and he had previous relationships with Terry Joseph, who recruited him at Notre Dame, uh, Jeff Banks, who recruited him at Alabama. And so, uh, previous relationship with uh, Jalen Ford, who played for rival uh, Frisco Lone Star as well. So, you know, all of those ties helped get him in, into Austin. And, you know, he really seemed like he was in a good place mentally when we talked to him today. And you can really see how that's showing up on the field. And, um, you know, that's been really huge for the Longhorn secondary. Yeah, we're glad to have you, Ryan Watts, if you're listening. And he might be one of the best Texas cornerbacks we've had in, in a few years. Curious to see where he projects after the season ends. He is a junior, so he could come back for one more year. And without the Sean Jamison, he'll be gone after this season. Texas could lose their two starting cornerbacks. So curious to see what happens with Watts after this season, if he ends up going to the NFL or, or comes back for his senior year. Yeah, and Ford as well, a guy that's really helped his draft stock, especially oh, in the last month. Uh, leads the Big 12 in tackles. Uh, leads the Big 12 with uh, three forced fumbles. So he's really playing, you know, at a high level. I, I'm not sure, um, you know, where he would really slot. I think he'd probably be, you know, a day three guy right now. Of course, that's a pretty big range between the fourth um, and the seventh round in, in terms of money. So um, he'll probably, both of those guys, I would think will, you know, submit feedback to the, um, you know, NFL draft evaluatory committee, uh, see what they have to say. I would, I would think that mo both guys would get returned to school grades. Uh, plenty of guys receive those grades, still end up going in the draft and end up being drafted. Uh, so it'll just kind of depend on, you know, what their financial situations are, are like with their family, you know, Ford dealership in Austin, Jalen Ford said he hasn't, you know, got an NIL deal with them yet. Uh, they oh. got to hit him up, man. He's uh, he's playing he's playing good enough football for it. Yeah, come on, we got we got to hook that up. What what are you doing, Ford? Uh, a covert Ford, get him on the line. Yeah, Ford's the best in Texas. Well, not if you have you don't have an NIL deal with Jalen Ford, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. Any other thoughts um, from either today meeting with the media or uh, Saturday's game? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the big issues that Texas is still having is, um, you know, not being able to hit those shot plays, you know, another of those topics that seems like uh, has been something that we've discussed, you know, pretty much every week for the last every two years. Every uh, yeah, uh, Xavier Worthy, eight targets, uh, four catches for 42 yards. Two of those catches were huge. Uh, you know, one of them a post corner route. 
uh, for a touchdown, you know, in the red zone, you know, always big plays to be able to come up with those touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, but just still, you know, Quinn, you struggling, you know, with those shot plays, certainly, um, you know, didn't look like his finger was an issue uh, with his accuracy, maybe in the same way that it was in the Oklahoma State game, uh, but still 18 uh, for 31, I think. Uh, I don't remember what the numbers were that Gerald had in the inside. Um, I think he was maybe uh, two of eight on on throws down the field, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh, people can check the inside the numbers post from Gerald Goodridge that we published on Sunday uh, if you want to get the exact numbers on that. Uh, but I asked Quinn about that today and, you know, if he thought that they were close to hitting those. And, you know, he said that he did think that they're close and that once they do start hitting those, that the dam's really going to break open. And I think that's one of the final things that, you know, this Texas offense really needs to unlock because, you know, if if they can do that and Sark has more confidence, you know, he's going to keep calling those plays. But uh, if he doesn't have the confidence in them, you know, in the second half of games, he only took one uh, that I can recall off the top of my head in the second half, uh, really going for a big play, especially, you know, those, those opportunities are there when teams, you know, have, you know, nine, 10 guys right within, you know, almost playing in the box or kind of uh, right outside the box, uh, you know, as they really load that to stop Texas running games that have been extremely effective in the last three first halves. Uh, so that's really the, you know, the one thing that I think Texas could get better at that could really, you know, help unlock this offense, uh, really produce those plays that can put opponents away. Uh, so we don't have to talk about, you know, blowing uh blowing leads in the second half or, or just having, you know, these nervy finishes like we saw on Saturday. At this point, I'm convinced Texas just will never hit on a deep ball. What is the, what is the <laughs> longest play um, as an air attempt, Westcott, that yours has connected the Alabama? Yeah, I think it would be yours? the throw to the throw to Xavier worthy, the 46 yarder right before he got injured. Yeah, and Sark said he's gonna keep he's gonna keep taking deep shots because that is a big part of his offense. Um, just maybe that that chemistry with Worthy isn't there. I would curious to see what it would look like with Isaiah Nayer. Um, but going forward, you would think that at least maybe one one completion could really change the complexion of a football game. Yeah, that's what Quinn told me today. We'll we'll see if that's the case, and uh, you know, hopefully, we'll at least get a get a chance to find out if he's right about that. So you're getting ready to go to the mood tonight. Are you in the mood for the mood? Do you have a McConaughey? I am. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. I was actually trying to figure out um exactly how long. It's been nine years since uh, the Dell Medical School was announced, and it was revealed that they were gonna you know tear down the Moody Center long. Um, you know, long stretch of, of trying to figure out where they were going to put that arena, um, having it on campus so close to the football stadium, more easily accessible to students, I think is, is going to be awesome. Uh, three, almost three years since they've broken ground. Uh, it's been something that that I've been waiting for uh, for a while personally to, to see, you know, just growing up a, a big basketball fan um, in Indiana, seeing the environments. Uh, my parents met at Illinois. So, the you know, the environments, um, you know, there at, at Mackey Arena in West and, you know, West Lafayette, where I grew up in Lafayette and, um, you know, down at IU as well. I mean, all, all those stadiums, you know, in that area have incredible fan support and they're set up better uh, for fans to make an impact on the game than the Irwin Center was. Uh, this arena is set up for that. I'm excited to see the the students around the court and, um, you know, not necessarily excited to see Joe Golding again uh, after the trauma that he inflicted, you know, on Texas a year and a half ago. But uh, a lot of newcomers 
um, for that UTEP team, only three returning players. Uh, so I think Texas uh, should have a chance to, uh, you know, open the Moody Center in style tonight. Yeah, 8 p.m. tip. If you're listening, uh, go out and catch a basketball game. It's going to be perfect, I think, for a perfect venue for watching basketball. It's it's nice and neat, but it's also laid out so much better than the Irwin Center. Trying to even walk around the concourse at the Irwin Center was just a pain in the butt. This one is definitely laid out a lot more nicer, considering it's not 50 years old or how how was it 40 years old, 50 years old? How old was the Frank Irwin Center? Opened in like 1970, right? Yeah, sometime in the 70s. But I, I guess. You're saying that I don't have to do my pregame elbow sharpening like I no. used to before the Irwin Center? Good Lord, no. So enjoy right, it. I'll let, I'll let you go. Uh, yeah. We'll be back uh, Wednesday to preview the TCU game. Check out burnorganization.com for coverage from tonight's Texas basketball game against UTEP and more coverage. And, of course, check out the Longhorn Republic podcast that will they'll be dropping Tuesdays and Thursdays. All right, enjoy the mood, Westcott. Cheers. Winning's hard, really, really hard.